Welcome listeners to the NK News Podcast, recorded here in Seoul on Wednesday, January 2, 2019. This is our first episode for the year, so we will be discussing New Year's celebrations in Pyongyang, the New Year address by Kim Jong-un, and what may or may not be the New Year's editorial in the Rorong Shinmun. I'm joined, I'm delighted to be joined today by three thought leaders and very, very sharp minds from the NK News and NK Pro staff, Oliver Hotham. Good morning. Dagyam Ji. And Colin Zwirko. Happy New Year. So let's talk first of all about the big show that was on the massive stage in uh, Kim Il Song Square in Pyongyang on New Year's Eve. Who watched it? Uh, yeah, I watched it live. You watched it live? Okay, now I, I, by the time I got the link, uh, it had been finished for over 11 minutes, but I was able to scroll backwards and forth. It was a, a heck of a show, wasn't it? Yeah, I got to be honest, I was uh, I don't have cable, so I was trying to find something on South Korean television on YouTube. And there was just some I've never watched South Korean television on New Year's Eve before, but there was some awards show and it was quite boring. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even mean to watch the North Korean um, New Year's celebrations. I just clicked to some other YouTube channel showing celebrations around the world. And it was Pyongyang and uh, it was really kicking off. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, tell us a bit about what did you see on the show? Well, so about a week before it, uh, there were some posts online from various people in Pyongyang uh, teasing about this New Year's concert. So I asked around, found out some information about it. I saw some pictures online uh, and a, a friend sent me some pictures. And you could see that the stage was going to be in sections, that they're going to be able to move throughout the crowd. And uh, you could tell that it was going to be on both uh, in, the, in the center of the square Uh Right, so the stage faces in two directions, right? So you could be on any side of the stage in the audience and see something going on. Right, so, you know, we expected there to be fireworks and other festivities. You, usually if you go on YouTube, you can see videos. It's quite a crowded event. It seems like uh, Pyongyangites come out in masses uh, to celebrate. Uh, but the concert component was definitely new. Is this a, uh, a long-standing tradition, Dagyum? Does Pyongyang have a tradition of putting on New Year's Eve spectacles in Kim Il-sung Square? Um, they usually do fireworks every year, but I don't see any concert in the past year, so I think it's kind of developed that they held a new concert marking the New Year. Yeah, And I saw the video, which lasted for about one hour, and the most impressed part is that the girls actually wore the very fashionable like coat on the concert stage and i was really impressed that oh there has been some kind of development in the fashion industry also and also tourists were being charged extra money to attend weren't they colin i think as far as i understand normally it's just something you can show up to kim il sung square and ah. just have a few drinks and take and take in the celebrations but as far as i understand this year there was like a surcharge for tourists that wants to attend yeah, I was only able to speak to one person so far. I'm still trying to contact people since we're only a day out here and they're still the tour groups are still there. But I heard from one from one source that they were charged 10 euro a piece, the tourists. Uh, which is uh, a, a bit cheaper than going to the Arirang uh, spectacle, isn't it? So it's Yeah, it's, I guess uh, New Year celebrations around the world that are outdoors typically wouldn't charge people. And right. I don't, who knows, but I don't think they were charging locals uh, it's, in one sense, it's not a big deal, but in the other sense, it's a new charge mm. for tourists. Now, it, it did look quite cold up there on the stage, didn't it? 
Yeah, it looks very cool. They were all wearing coats and... Yeah. And you could see their breath as they were singing. One of the reasons I never go out to the bell ringing ceremony here in uh, in Jongno in Seoul for New Year's Eve is because I, I don't want to get cold. It's quite cozy, though. If you're all packed in together, I've watched that on TV as well, the Jonggak thing. Yeah. It seemed quite nice. It wasn't wasn't too too chilly. Yeah, people in the Northern Hemisphere around the world are brave in the temperatures to celebrate. I've never been there, right? No. Okay, that's fine. Of course, alcohol always helps as well. Now, what did you think of the uh, of the drone show? Uh, they had, uh, I, I don't know how many, but they had a number of drones spelling out the numbers uh, 2019 and also a Happy New Year in Korean. Was they uh, Were they inspired by Pyeongchang, perhaps, the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics last year? I think so. Uh, I counted. There were 180 drones. Uh, they're easy to well, count. Nice. Okay, <laughs> nice job on counting. Well, uh, it was more drones than they used in the mass game. So they, they brought out this... Uh, this uh, coordinated, orchestrated drone light show for the mass games in September. And there are programs that you can download. Uh, some of them are open source. So mm. someone would have had to have bought the drones, and then they could probably pretty easily learn the or- the orchestration program. But uh, yeah, Pyeongchang was like, what was it, tw- uh, over a 1,000 drones, and this was about just under 200. So not quite Pyeongchang levels. Okay. But it, it's still a, yeah, it's something we hadn't seen uh, before there. Uh, Kim Jong-un wasn't there in person, but perhaps he was watching a live feed. Do we know if this uh, show was televised throughout North Korea on uh, state television? Well, as far as I know, it went out live on KCTV. Um, so I'm assuming that quite a lot of people hmm. watched it, those of, uh, those of them with televisions. I'm not quite sure how many North Koreans are sitting around on New Year's Eve watching the telly, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, now, I couldn't help but notice that the year count that was used was the Western-centric 2018 and 2019. Uh, what is it in the Juche count now? Is it 107, 108, perhaps? 108. Yeah. I'm just interested, why did they not use that for a domestic festival? Uh, are they? Is the Juche year count less important now? Is it diminished somehow in the Kim Jong-un era? Um. They don't normally use celebrate the New Year's like this, and New Year is comparably um, not meaningful compared to other anniversary in North Korea. So I think this is a huge development that they actually um, ask people to gather in Kim Il Sung's gear and held a like concert marking the New Year. Right. Well, that's that's New Year's as a day, but I'm talking about the year number itself. Um, choosing to use 2019 instead of 108. Uh, that itself is, is perhaps an interesting choice. I mean, when you look at books from North Korea, the publication date on the front uh, will give you the, the, the year in both uh, the Juche count and the Western count. There was another big state-led, state-sponsored uh, celebration on New Year's Eve, uh, a children's concert indoors. Right, this and is one that a lot of uh, diplomats, foreign diplomats went to this show, right? Yeah, and on, on the stage there, you've only got the year Juche 108. Now, that's interesting. Okay, so... Th- so for one celebration, the sort of official uh, indoors one, they used the Juche Year 108. But for the outdoor celebration, Kim Il Sung Square, where the tourists were at, uh, they used the Western Year count. Maybe they were conscious that um, the celebration in Kim Il Sung Square would get a bit more international attention than it was being broadcast live. There were a lot of foreigners there. Um, they, I got the sense that they maybe wanted it to have the appearance of something that might happen in Seoul. You know, there was a lot of... Um, one of the things that really was remarkable was during the concert, all of the North Koreans holding up their mobile phones to film, yeah. which um, really reminded me of something that might go go down in 
South Korea. Um, and is it my imagination, or did I see some people in the crowd in Kim Il Sung Square holding up those uh, those inflated clapper things that mm-hmm. uh, that people hold at the sports shows here, uh, uh, you know, sports matches here in Korea? I in think Pyongyang really want to showcase that they are normal state that, and they really want to um, display this show to the external world, not for the internal purpose. Um, yeah. Right. I did see some snatches of. Uh, of that uh, footage, for example, on BBC, you know, uh, here's a wrap-up of New Year's Eve around the world, and you know that went through various countries, and here's a little bit from Pyongyang. So yeah, that that, that is part of that uh, that global spectacle, isn't it? Another yeah. thing is that uh, if people are watching from around the world, sure, all the lyrics to all the songs were uh, very North Korean, but there weren't any, they weren't broadcasting any images of Kim Jong Un or Kim Il Sung uh, in the show itself. So. Mm. Uh, viewers, international viewers, would get the sense that this is a modern concert in a foreign language. And were there any messages in the shows or in the performances? Uh, anything about you know prosperity or uh, nuclear missiles? There was no clear message from my understanding, but it looks like musical performance compared to like uh, like Western performance. Um, so I was really surprised that there was no message about how North Korea is. Um, great or mm-hmm. the leader's achievement this year. So I think it clearly targets the Western tourists or like people from the outside of the world. Okay, well, yeah, in that case, uh, perhaps it makes sense to charge uh, a bit of money to the Western tourists there because the show is, is perhaps uh, partly for them. All right, so speaking of aesthetics and uh, big shows, let's talk about the beginning of the video for Kim Jong-un's New Year's Day speech, which was uh, broadcast uh, uh, yesterday morning. Uh, It was, uh, for me, I don't know how it was for you, but I found the beginning a little bit eerie with the the, the noise of the artificial gong and then the, uh, the camera shot flying into the presidential palace that looked like it was filmed on a drone. Speaking of drones, we've got a drone once again. I was under the impression that bit was was computer uh, animated. No, that was a drone shot, for sure. They've been using that drone all the time recently. I don't know. If you look back on the video, it looked very weird. Yeah, yeah. No, because yeah. it, was, it was tilted yeah. a little bit. Cause, no, because there was the clock there was the clock bit, and that was real. Well, let's then, come back to the clock later on. Yeah, yeah, but then there was this bit, yeah, where it flew into the Workers' Party headquarters. Yeah, well, it, just up to the entrance, yeah. not into. I mean, listeners, I guess, can have a look and judge for themselves. I thought it definitely looked a bit... That was a drone shot. Yeah, I used to edit video of KZU's New Year's bits in the past, and, and, and I just realized that it's really a new format, mm. and style compared to the previous year well we had one one of our friends uh, curtis melvin remarked that it reminded him of the shining absolutely spot on i just i watched it again after he said that and it's absolutely spot on it's so eerie and then they continue the the gongs that gong is eerie yeah it's very ominous and then when kim jong-un's walking down the hallway they continue with the gongs and uh, it's just it's very uh interesting yeah it's certainly in terms of a spectacle it's a it is interesting uh, has Kim Jong-un done these speeches every year since the beginning of his rule with uh, the first one being January 1st, 2012? Or is this a new it thing? Was, um, it wasn't 2012, it was um, 2013. Yeah. I think because the idea was 20, January 1st, 2012 would have been just a few weeks after his father right, died. the morning period. Um, as far as I understand, this was obviously a long tradition under Kim Il-sung, um, but Kim Jong-il uh, put 
kind of put an end to it. Um, right, he wasn't a public speaker. He wasn't a public speaker, so they replaced it with these kind of triple editorials in all the, you know, the party, military, um, newspapers. And I think Kim Jong-un was part of his kind of early attempts to maybe uh, bring back the spirit of his grandfather a little bit. Um, and they've, yeah, they've become, I guess, something of a tradition under his mantle. And we had the uh, the fake applause, of course, at the beginning. Uh, it was not fake, but canned applause uh, and canned applause at the end. Luckily, uh, there wasn't canned laughter. <laughs> that is a good thing. Um, now, who was accompanying Kim Jong-un through the uh, halls of the palace to the room where he made the speech? Um, he was accompanied by three high-ranking officials, including his sister Kim Yo-jong, and the other two are Chu Young-won and Kim Chang-son. Kim Chang-son is um, normally known as the secretary of Kim Jong-un, and Chu Young-won is um, in charge of like economic part, and he usually accompanied um, Kim Jong-un's inspection to economic units. Okay, all right. So that's an interesting uh, a trio of people to accompany him. Now, usually he's done these speeches before standing at a lectern, but this time he chose to do it sitting on a, a well-upholstered leather couch in a library or a study-type room flanked by massive portraits of his father, Kim Jong-il, and his grandfather, Kim Il-sung, and also flags of the uh, the state and also the Korean Workers' Party. Uh, is there any meaning that we should take from that? Well, I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the, the New Year's celebrations, that it's much more of an attempt to make North Korea appear to be a, a normal country, right? So... I was watching South Korean news last night and um, they were comparing it to like the old fireside chats mm. um, that British prime ministers used to do. You, know, you used to get, say, um, Harold McMillan sitting by a fire in a big cozy chair, you know, talking to the people about the budget. And it definitely had that kind of vibe to it. Um, there was also a lot of speculation that one of the reasons why is that Kim Jong-un is not maybe in the best health. Mm. And past years have seen him standing in a lectern delivering the lecture. And maybe this year he... Um, wasn't feeling up to standing for 30 minutes. Um, right, because it's about a 30-minute speech. Yeah. Um, as I said, seated in an armchair. He didn't look directly at the camera, but sort of looked at, a, at an invisible sort of imaginary uh, interlocutor. A uh, lot of books there in, on the bookshelf. Um, any idea, has anyone zoomed in to see what the titles were? I'm assuming it's the collected works of collected various works people. With, um, the, with the Century by Kim Il-sung, I the Century. Um, but this is videotaped video, so I don't think Kim Jong-un um, doesn't have to be stand for 30 minutes. Um, and I think there may be another reason that he was delivering speech while sitting down. And... My Spanish friends watched it, and it looks like my Spanish king like mm. delivered the speech on the mm. New Year. So I think Kim Jong Un may want to mimic Western style. Yeah, it reminded me. I watched the Queen's speech on Christmas Day, um, and it did remind me of that a little bit as well. The Queen just sort of sitting in a comfy chair, the golden yeah. piano behind her. Um, but some, I think it was Rudiger Frank pointed out that um, some eagle-eyed viewers noticed that the clock changed quite a lot. And um, which actually suggests yeah, there's a clock on the desk in the background yeah. behind Kim Jong Un, and if you look at the the face, sometimes the face is not even visible, right? Somebody's gone through and retouched that out. Yeah, but um, I think I think someone put it together and worked out that there was some twenty minutes that had been apparently cut out from the speech. A missing twenty um, minutes. Yeah, so maybe it was much. It was probably much longer than um, than the one we saw. The one we saw was about thirty-one minutes, and that would make it roughly fifty minutes. Um, yeah, or he had a break in between for or a cigarette. A, or a cigarette break, that's uh, true. 
Or, or uh, he's borrowing from Nixon's playbook, perhaps. Oh. Colin. How's that? Right, because there was the missing 18 minutes from the Nixon White House. Oh, tapes, yeah. The Watergate. Watergate. Uh, anyway, a bit of history there. What are the major themes of Kim Jong-un's speech? So I think um, it's safe to say a lot of people have said the main audience for the New Year's speech is obviously the domestic audience. Um, and I think that was quite clear just in the heavy focus of, on the economy. You know, all the stuff about diplomacy and sanctions got the headlines. But when we were watching it, it was really just economy, economy, economy focus on um which traditionally does happen in the north korean um, leader's speech he talked about all the industries that are going to receive priority and resources this year there was a heavy focus on electricity um as our analyst peter ward pointed out um definitely uh, an awareness that they still have these lingering power problems talking about uh, diversifying energy sources there was talk of nuclear was it nuclear wind and coal tide power yeah there was tide power coal mining but it said like it said uh, developing our, uh, or it said, pushing forward, pushing forward with our ability to develop nuclear power mm. or something like that. Mm. And then a lot of focus on heavy industry, um, markedly not that much discussion of the consumer goods industry, um, which is odd because for most of 2018 it was quite a heavy focus of Kim Jong Un's. Um, but um, that maybe suggests that um, you know these are the industries that are really the ones that receive 100% state um, kind of direction and aren't, don't have a degree of autonomy. Right. Um, what, what was his message to the, these, the citizens of North Korea? Was it that uh, uh, you need to tighten your belts or you're going to have a, a, a bountiful year? Um, basically, Kim Jong-un want to um, build socialist construction, really low sanctions and pressure from the outside of the world. And Kim Jong-un um, actually launches, announced a new strategic line at the April meetings. So I think Kim really want to push away with a new strategic line um, as he believed that he achieved the Beijing line successfully. So this new year, through so this new years, I think Kim Jong-un will uh, really push for the new strategic line, mainly focus on economic um, development to make um, socialist, cons- socialist constru- construction. Yeah. So would an average North Korean citizen, after hearing this speech, would he or she uh, be encouraged and cheerful about the year ahead? Um, if I am a North Korean, I will be encouraged. But in a way, I also um, notice Kim Jong-un's concern about economic development and openness. Um, through the New Year's speech, I realized that Kim Jong-un also want to develop national economy but he is really concerned about how he can develop its national economy um he is um he understand that he should open the economy but he also emphasized that um there has been no corruptions and other stuff from the western country so in a way kim jong-un really want to develop its economy but he didn't figure out he couldn't figure out what is the most efficient way to develop um, such an isolated country? I see. Did he make any specific mention of uh, outside, external investment into North Korea or uh, North-South economic cooperation? 
Um, notably, Kim Jong-un said um, he will open Kaesong Industrial Complex and Mountain Gungang Tourism without any precondition and in return for nothing. So this is clearly a um, notable um, part that we have to focus on in his new speech. And this clearly target to um, to audience. Um, one is the like, South Korean people. Um, Kim Jong-un want to send messages to South Korean people that oh, we want to open market and we want to develop inter-Korean economic cooperation. So let's um, work together. And the other audience is the U.S. maybe. And Kim Jong-un clearly sends messages to U.S. that oh, we want to really open the market and this inter-Korean economic cooperation. So please religious sanctions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Colin, what did you take away from the speech? Well, I was going to ask Tagam, in, in, re- in previous years, in South Korea, is the whole speech broadcast on television like it was on, I don't know how many channels this this year? Um, usually, Yonhap and agency broadcast Kim Jong-un's New Year's speech in real time, and like other significant events, including military parade. Speaking of the message to the outside world, uh, he, he, wanted, he said that he's ready to talk to the Americans at any time, uh, and that he hopes that things will go well, but he mentions a possible new way uh, a new way for peace if things don't turn out the way that you know he's hoping. Uh, what's he talking about there, Oliver? So this was the, this was a reiteration of a line that the North Koreans have been kind of developing over the last couple of months, um, where they've said, "Well, you know, painting themselves as having given loads of concessions at this point now, and are kind of getting a little bit tired and a little bit um, impatient with America's, as they describe them, unilateral demands." Um, so North Korea has now been saying, well, if we don't start to see results from the Americans, we're going to go our own way. And they're always keeping it ambiguous about what this means. But sometimes they offer hints. Um, they've offered hints about maybe we'll have to return to what they describe as like the worst nuclear war state on the peninsula. So I think this new way could potentially involve probably a restarting of the kind of regular missile and nuclear testing that we saw last year. Um, kind of a, an end to any kind of diplomatic relations small as they may be with the United States. Um, it would be interesting to see in that type of scenario what would happen with South Korea. Would North Korea um, kind of go back to what they were doing last uh, in 2017 where they just completely blindsided South Korea and didn't engage in anything? Would that, if In this scenario, would that involve them cutting off relations with the South again? Or would we see a kind of weird parallel development of inter-Korean relations improving while building up tensions with the US. And of course, that would be very, very complicated and, and difficult. Um, I think um, North Korea itself proved that they can act um, rationally in the last year, in 2018. So I don't think North Korea made really stupid decisions at this point because everyone knows that North Korea can be, could be rational. So... Kim Jong-un, I don't think Kim Jong-un finds a new way now. So I think North Korea is trying to find a new way to persuade the U.S. And I don't think the North Korea itself has doesn't have any answer. And as far as something towards the U.S., uh, some people might consider it parsing words, but he did say we will, we will not make test uh, what did he say? He we will not make, test, proliferate nuclear weapons. Yeah. And him saying make, now that's kind of ambiguous in itself. Mm. We don't know if that means producing finished weapons or or uh, developing the technology. But some people 
uh, might see that as a new statement from Kim Jong-un. So uh, that might be something to the U.S., like, hey, we're not making nuclear weapons anymore. Uh, that's You guys have been asking for that, and here it is. But uh, that has to be proven and probably has to be said again in negotiations with the U.S. Worth, worth keeping an eye on whether or not they reiterate that line, because that is a if anything, a new dimension to what North Korea is claiming to have done. Because for a long time, they've been saying, well, our main concession has been that we've stopped missile testing and that we've refocused our economy. But the claim that we're no longer developing nuclear weapons is actually kind of... Don't know if it was developing. It was like to make. Yeah. We have to point out that this is the first time that Kim Jong-un actually mentioned the word of complete nuclearizations in his speech. And usually, South Korean President Moon Jae-in delivered the mm. word on behalf of Kim Jong-un. And Kim Jong-un himself now made yeah. mention of complete denuclearization in front of all people, all ah. North Koreans. So okay. this is quite interesting development. That is an interesting step, isn't it? Now, uh, we should let's uh, be careful here. You mentioned, Oliver, uh, that the primary uh, audience for these speeches is as a domestic one and uh, so Kill Park, our good friend from Link and a recent podcast uh, guest and now recipient of the uh, member of the British Empire Award. Congratulations Sokil. Sokil Park, comma MBE. Uh, he tweeted on December 31st the sentence, the New Year's pre- uh, speech primary audience is domestic and he tweeted like almost like writing lines at school. It was like five yeah. times just to, to really hammer home that point there. And this is perhaps because of the tendency of people in Washington and Seoul to try to derive too much meaning from it. Is there a danger? I mean, are we looking too much into messages he might be trying to give the outside world? Um, You know, I think it's unavoidable that people are going to read a lot into the New Year's speech just because the last two New Year's speeches, I mean, I wrote an analysis for NK Pro kind of looking at, um, I looked at the 2017 speech and the 2018 speech and then compared them to the things that happened during the year. And, um, you know, as much as we could definitely say that the speech's audience is domestic, the speech really does serve as a very good indicator of what's going to happen during the year. So the 2017 speech was very much focused on this pledge about achieving a a nuclear deterrent and achieving a, um, a nuclear weapon that could hit the United States. And of course, that year was defined by fire and fury, very high tensions, lots of missile testing. In contrast, 2018 was a, was quite conciliatory. It was, I guess, the main headline that came out of it was that North Korea would participate in the Pyeongchang Olympics. And of course, the Pyeongchang Olympics was kind of the ball, the got the ball rolling on yeah. pretty much everything that's that's happened since then. So I think it makes sense that people would try and take it apart, um, you know. But as we said again, this. A lot of the speech, especially the front end of the speech, was dominated by domestic issues. You know, it was all about the economy. It was all about um, thank you to these people for achieving this. Thank you to these people for achieving this. But um, yeah, I mean, people are going to pour over every public speech by Kim Jong Un anyway, right? Right. So, and in fact, I mean, he knows, uh, of course, that people outside are watching it too. So maybe the speech is written with an eye to both audiences, the domestic and the international one. Well, I mean, it's not like policy in North Korea is massively driven by public opinion, is it? No. Now, let's turn to the uh, the Rodong Shinmun uh, newspaper. Uh, the, there has been uh, a long-standing tradition of uh, publishing New Year's editorials in, you mentioned three papers there, the Rodong and two other ones. But that's that seems to have fallen by the wayside in the Kim Jong-un era, that the, the uh, focus now is more on the speeches rather than the, the triple editorials. 
Uh, was there an editorial this year? Um, I read the Rodong Simon yesterday, but we couldn't get the PDF file because um, North Korea decided to charge the services, and we are working on a client. Yeah. <laughs> So um, I'm not sure whether they carry the editorial on the um, printed editions, but on the online version, there has been no specific um, editorial on praising Kim Jong-un's new speech. But my understanding is that all the media will start publish um, editorial um, from today to um, encourage people to um, achieve Kim Jong-un's new speech. And I think, yeah, January will be full of the yeah, editorial um, encouraging North Korean to um, follow the Kim Jong-un's instruction. Okay, so it's a reinforcement of what Kim Jong-un said yeah. and an exhortation to the people to work hard to achieve these goals. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's, it's, it's well known that in North Korea, you know, citizens are encouraged to memorize yeah. Yeah, tracts of the speech, you know, this quotes from the speech become a part of propaganda that you see on the street you know these quotes even Kim Jong-un in the speech said you know we should do focus on this slogan and this slogan and this slogan just reminding people to kind of memorize these things and sort of commit them to memory to be good citizens don't they have to I mean we don't have to do it but like we did it right mm. <laughs> so for the uh, the Saturday study sessions that exactly we, did, we can imagine that people will be uh, reciting pieces of the uh, of the speech. Yeah, I mean, when you go to North Korea, you can talk to North Koreans and they'll be able to recite from memory little bits of the of the speeches. So. Now, uh, given that that's, that's pretty much all we can say about the Rodong Shinmun at this stage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what, if any, conclusions can we draw from all of this uh, regarding Kim Jong-un's negotiating positions vis-a-vis -vis North Korea and the United States at the start of the year? Um. You know, I think there was a lot of expectation that um, either one of two things was going to happen in the speech. Either Kim Jong-un was going to come out with a very hardline speech and say, um, essentially, throw a spanner in the works and say, this is our position, we're not going to budge. Then the other position idea was that Kim Jong-un would essentially be very conciliatory and be very kind of, um, you know, almost sort of begging for um, negotiations to improve. Essentially what he did as a true Marxist, he took the thesis the antithesis and he combined the two and he did um essentially something in the middle he said you know look we want peace with the us um we're open to it um we you know praising all the th progress that's been made with south korea um but at the end of the day he just reiterated what they've been saying for the last few months which is that we want sanctions relief we want to be treated as um equal partners um i mean it doesn't all that change all that much at the right. end of the day and certainly i mean uh the, the reopening of Kaesong and Kumgang uh, Tourist Park, um, these things would not be possible without sanctions relief. Right? No. So he, he wants that very, very much uh, up front, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think for a while the North Koreans were being very kind of um, coy about, you know, well, we want concessions, but not really being that clear about what it was that they wanted. Um, but now they've made it very clear that sanctions relief is the main demand. And I think in the coming months, either we'll have to see some kind of loosening of sanctions or these negotiations are just going to completely fall apart. Now, it's interesting, speaking of sanctions, that it, during the speech, he also made a point that, uh, uh, look how the North Korean economy has grown even under the tightest of sanctions, right? So on the one hand, he's almost saying sanctions haven't held us back, but now he's saying, uh, you know, but we've reached the limit of, of how far we can go. Now sanctions are holding us back. 
we want relief. Is that sort of how you interpret it? Um, the fact that Kim Jong Un mentioned sanctions several times means that sanction actually works. So <laughs> Kim Jong Un himself proved that sanctions work and asking the U.S. to relieve sanctions. So I think sanctions clearly works in the North Korea. Yeah. So he wrap up his speech that oh, we have to develop national economy regardless of sanctions. Yeah. And I realized that okay, sanctions really works in North Korea. Yeah. Now, if a uh, if a second summit between President Trump and uh, Chairman Kim goes ahead earlier this year, as you know, may or may not be the case, um, do you imagine that there'd be some sanctions relief in uh, that there'd be a, a potential for sanctions relief in those negotiations? Colin, what do you think? I think that Trump will try to offer things. Uh, he's got his own situation domestically that people should remember uh, in terms of what he can actually offer uh, Kim Jong Un realistically. But you always have to look back at the legislation in the U.S. Uh, it's going to take Congress, I think, to lift some of these sanctions. There are stipulations uh, about there must be human, there must be some progress on the human rights issue. Uh, I think I've read somewhere that the president might have some loopholes in there. Um, but really, I think uh, we're going to have to look to what Trump can actually realistically accomplish. Uh, I mean, important to bear in mind is that though a lot of those limits are partially on American unilateral sanctions on yeah. North Korea, but there's also elements of saying international sanctions. But I think sanctions, all that sanctions relief would require at this point would be for the US to say, okay, we don't have to have full removal of sanctions as well, which is what those a lot of those laws say that for sanctions to be 100% lifted. I can't imagine that's going to happen. Well, anytime soon, but you could have some kind of rollback of sectoral measures, for example, or um, there was a lot of talk about maybe lifting the travel ban, mm -hmm. um, making humanitarian delivery easier, um, giving some concessions to South Korea as well. It could be done simply through um, exemptions. It wouldn't have, even have to be at the Security Council, um, you know, a full removal. You could say, well, let the South Koreans have reopen Kaesong, right. Kumgang, all of that stuff. That would represent some kind of sanctions relief, at least. Now, South Korea also has some unilateral sanctions of its own, doesn't it? The, uh, I can never remember the date, the May... 24. 24th measures, thank you, yeah. Uh, has, were they mentioned? I mean, does North Korea pressure South Korea to uh, immediately raise or roll back those uh, sanctions? Um, since last year, um, North Korea asked South Korea to lift May 23rd measures through all the state media and because it really hampered inter-Korean economic cooperation. So I think Pyongyang clearly wants South Korea to lift military sanctions. Seoul even has had to grant exemptions. So there a lot of people will say, well, May 24 agreements measures don't really aren't really enforced anymore under the new administration. Mm. But that's not really true because they had to give an exemption to allow the Morinbong, um yeah. 72, which were on the boat, when it came with the... Um, yeah, Man Bong. that's yeah. it. Moranbong's um, the band. Moranbong's the band yeah. uh, that well, was on the boat. Amongst other things, um, yeah. But um, no, I think those things and um, are do hamper into Korean exchange. And there was this whole drama, I think it was in November, when Minister Kang was quoted as suggesting, suggesting yeah, that they yeah, would lift they them, were... and then they had to say, we're not going to lift them. And Right, so, so they're still in place. Uh, now... We know that on the almost the last day of the year, I think it was Sunday the 30th, uh, Moon, Moon Jae-in received a letter from Kim Jong-un 
Yeah. What do we know about this? How much has been revealed of the contents of that letter? Um, the Blue said they didn't want to um share the details with the press because that's against the uh, um custom and because it's um clearly Kim Jong Un's private letter to Moon Jae In, and I get the um and. Presidential spokesperson Kim Mugyeom held a news briefing on the letter and shared some part of the letter. And Kim Jong Un um, originally want Moon Jae In to have a meeting on the frequent basis next year. Uh-huh. And he this also, year. yeah, yeah, and this year, yeah. And he also expressed disappointment over for not making his promise to come to Seoul mm. uh, last year. So that's the two key points in the letter. But we don't know how it delivered. Right. Yeah. Right, we don't know how, it, through what channel was it just handed handed yeah. over the, the military demarcation line? Yeah. Uh, but was it sent by fax? We just don't know. But one of the journalists at local media um, um, went to for his private trip and he saw a lot of like police car near the Panmunjom and near the border. So hmm. we guess that maybe they delivered a letter through the border line. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, we're, of course, once again, we are so far from where we were a year ago, right? I mean, a year ago, we were just talking about um, uh, Kim Jong-un uh, making some reconciliatory noises in his first, uh, in his New Year's Day speech of, of two, 2018. And now here we are a year later and we're, uh, uh, we, you know, we're talking about such different things. It's amazing, isn't it? How far we've come. A lot has changed, definitely. But it's not... It, these are things that, that could be rolled back very quickly, right? I mean, we certainly, uh, if the wheel turns a bit further, we could go back to uh, um, you know, facing off uh, across the border once again and uh, angry words and sea of fire and that kind of thing. I mean, we, we've, we've seen this before, haven't we? Well, on the inter-Korean level, there's a lot of arguments that these things are irreversible. I mean, a lot of the military, I think a lot of the military um, developments are quite difficult you can't go and just put landmines back in the dmz um or rebuild the guard towers I and mean, i guess you could rebuild the guard towers but it would be it would be quite um quite a lot of work so i think you can say on the inter-korean level there's been a lot of stuff that would be difficult to just you know snap back but yeah on the u.s level of course we could go back to fire and fury tomorrow mm-hmm. after trump all trump would have to do is press tweet and we'd be back yeah the first Half of this year is very significant in the sense. Um, I don't think there has been no um difference in terms of inter-Korean relations because, like Kim Jong Un said, military agreement is de facto non-aggression pact, and so I don't think we can just revert things um quickly. Mm. But in terms of like U.S. and DPRK relations, I think they can just go back to the past if there has been if there is no development and if they can reduce the difference between the two over what sanction means, what uh, what humanitarian aid means. so What I denuclearization think, means. Yeah, also. and I think it's really important for both to reduce the gap um, in the half of this year. All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts or comments to leave us with, Colin? I think just watch out for the next Trump-Kim summit. That's We're taking bets on where it's going to be. Well, how soon could it potentially be? Let's say it does go ahead. What are we talking here? Uh, Maybe March? This mu- oh, so it wouldn't be this month. Then. I think there's a lot of... Nothing really happens in North Korea in January. It's a lot of housekeeping. And then February, 
February is the birthday of Kim Jong Il. Yeah, and then so maybe March, I think, when it's a little bit warmer. Between the two birthdays. Between the two birthdays, um, I guess now we're open to speculation on where it might be. Um, maybe Switzerland this time. Hmm. Dagan, what's your feeling on when and where? Um, maybe in March or April, but it it will never happen in a way. So yeah. <laughs> Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, I met quite um some experts during my holiday, and some South Korean experts really are skeptical about the development. Um, so some believe that the second DPRK US summit will never take place, and it we can go back to the past. Yeah, while Kim Jong Il and um President Trump share rhetorics, yeah, through Twitter or like state media. Wow. I think but, if Trump wants it to happen, it'll happen. Yeah, uh, I think we, it could be sooner than that. I mean, if if that's the if Pompeo is not not making any headway, seemingly, then it's going to take uh, a leader level summit, and I think that's going to come sooner than than March. I think a, a Seoul summit, if Kim met Moon in Seoul, um, which I think is likely to happen now at mm. some point in the coming months, I think that yeah. would kind of help kickstart um, the process and. I mean, we saw Trump when after the March um, inter-Korean summit, the publicity that got and the international news coverage that got, that really, I think, got Trump going and kind of hyped for his own summit with Kim Jong-un. Maybe we'll see a similar thing um, but again. But Kim Jong-un needs to meet Xi Jinping and Putin. Yeah, so I think we have to Why does he need to meet Xi Jinping again? He's met him three times already. Uh, Xi Jinping promised that he will travel to Pyongyang. Ah. And it has been delayed for a long time. Okay. And Russia also wants to meet Kim Jong-un. And Russia wants Kim Jong-un to fly to Moscow. So I think right. Kim Jong-un should figure out his schedule. Yeah. Mm. He's got a busy travel schedule for the first half of the year. Yeah, before meeting Trump. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, uh, thank you uh, to all of you. Thank you to Oliver, Dagyom and Colin for joining me today here on the 2nd of January. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening. And of course, as always, thanks to producers Arias Dare and Christina Lee for their hard work on this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please continue to share this podcast with your friends and enemies and also send us reviews, feedback and suggestions. Uh, We can be reached on uh, Facebook and also we have an email address podcast at nknews.org. Thanks for listening again next time.